screenwriters tend to be more visually minded. And if you can translate that into the written word for in long form, I think it's going to make a better writer. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. What does it take to write a horror book? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. My guest this week is a prolific horror author. His name is Chris Copel. He's the author of more than a dozen books in this genre. Chris also has a famous father who wrote a screenplay for a film that I guarantee you'll know, which has had a huge cultural impact. Now, I was fascinated to catch up with Chris, not just to hear about his famous dad, but to understand how he approaches writing horror books and sustaining interest in one genre, niche or niche if you're in the United States. My takeaway is that writers should create what they love to read. So rather than looking at Amazon.com and trying to figure out what's going to sell the most copies, if you're unsure what to write about, do this. Open up your Kindle app on your phone or on your computer or look at your bookshelf and look at all of the books that are on your shelf or inside of the app because those are the books that you should try and write too. That's because you've spent time and money and your attention reading them and you'll have a much more enjoyable experience if you write what you love to read. And this is an, is an idea that I've come across not just from talking to Chris but from talking to other screenwriter instructors. A couple of years ago, I went to a storytelling workshop that was hosted by Robert McKee. At the end of the workshop, I asked him, Robert, what should I write? And he said to complete the exercise that I just described. And when I opened up my library, I was surprised to see that there were no genre fiction books in my library. Instead, I found a lot of non-fiction books. This is the genre that I love to read the most, and it's the genre that I write the most. Now, for Chris, on the other hand, he describes how he reads a lot of Stephen King and how this has had a huge impact or influence on his work. So the next time you're unsure about what you should write about, simply write what you love to read. And I guarantee you'll find it much easier than staring at a flashing blank cursor and wondering if anybody will actually go ahead and buy this. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Chris. It was a fun one. If you do, hit thumbs up wherever you're listening or share the show. Or simply just leave a short review on iTunes because your reviews and ratings really do help more people find to become a writer today podcast. Now, I was actually considering pausing the podcast for some time, but I did decide to commit to another 10 to 12 episodes. So if you'd like to get more episodes from me, please let me know. You can shoot me an email or you can simply share your feedback by leaving a review on the iTunes store. And if you know other writers who would enjoy listening to a podcast like this one, then please also send them a link. Now let's go over to this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you. Nice to be here. There's a nice intriguing gem about your father and his impact on your writing career, which we'll get to in a few moments. But before we cover that, could you give listeners a, a bit more information about who you are and how your writing journey started? My name is Chris Koppel. I started writing very, very early on but not serious writing, just just little notes and one-page stories that I did nothing with. But I really enjoyed just the physical act of having these weird thoughts come to me and be able to write them down. Then in, I think it was 95, I sat down and I had this great idea for a story where you didn't know, it, it ends up being a story about the adventures of a dog as told from the dog's perspective, but it's a dark story. It's, um, it gets dog mapped and used for smuggling and has to f- actually break out all his friends from a, from a kennel 
and find their way through London. It's dark and got some scary, some scary bits in it. But all I wanted to do initially was an exercise. I sat down one night, I was working at Warner Brothers, and I sat down one night and I started writing this. I wanted to see how many pages I could get into it without it being recognized that I was writing about a dog. So I just called her her and about how the end of her day, how it felt so wonderful to lie and stretch in front of the fireplace and, and kept it going as long as I could before ended up having her, her face in a food bowl, which I think probably was the giveaway. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't, I didn't stop. And I ended up writing over the course of the next four months about 92,000 words. And the book came out originally, it was published by Little Brown Books in America, and it came out about a year and a half after I finished. Is this your book, Lucky? No, Lucky is very dark. That's a, we'll t- we should have a little more talk about that. It's luck. No, why? But that's a complete anti-Trump book. Okay. No, this one's called, it was originally called Far From Burden Dell when it was published, but I, I ended up buying the rights back and changed the title um, to Lucy. Oh, I'm looking at the cover now. So yeah, there's a, a picture of what looks like a dog's tail on, in a dark alleyway. Yeah, that's the one. So that was your first book? That was my first book. And... It did very well in the library circuits. I didn't realize the company that that published it, their specialty was providing books for American schools and for American libraries. So the schools bought it. I don't know whatever happened to it. And the libraries bought it. But that's that's not a way to make a lot of money. (laughs) Because basically, once they all have one, that's it. And then I I was sort of so disappointed that it, it didn't get read enough. This was before Amazon was a real factor. And I just sort of stopped writing and focused on doing some uh, screenwriting, some rewrites for people. So would this have been in the 1990s? This would have been in the late 1990s, yeah. And it wasn't until I moved back to England with my wife in 2019 that I was watching CNN and Donald Trump, it was one of his big events, arena events, where he just blathers on about absolute nonsense for hours. And I got so angry that I switched off the TV and I started writing what ended up being this, this book called Luck, which is the story of, a, of a, a child who was born in very strange circumstances after a horrific accident and has the power to manipulate people. And as he grows older, he finds ways to use his power that are at different stages of his life. He uses them in different sort of ways as one would in that life. And it ends, he ends up making himself very wealthy in real estate and then discovers the way he really can make some fame and fortune with manipulation is in politics. And it goes from there. But it's a very, very dark story. Since then, you've written over a dozen books. I'm just doing um, final edits on book number 13 as we speak. And I noticed one is under a pen name, CJ Axelrod. CJ Axelrod. That one is, I did it under a pen name because it's very loosely based on the story my father wrote that he never, it, it was optioned probably 20 or 30 times by major production companies and never got made, and it was, uh, he did a book after the fact, which had a very, very, very small publishing. It was called Tweedledum and Tweedledee. 
And I thought I'd like to take, I still like the story and I thought I'd like to take a crack at it. And I turned it completely around and it's, it's obviously much newer and much more modern than when he wrote it, which was in the 50s. It's basically the story of a super celebrity who starts getting death threats and hires a body double to do stand-ins at some of the large publicity events. And things just go terribly wrong. But that I, I just couldn't decide at that time if I, because it's sort of a, a police drama thriller whether I, I wanted to do that sort of book. And I, that was the other reason for having it under a different name, to separate it from the horror stuff. But I, the one I'm doing now is a combination of police and horror, and I decided to keep it with Koppel. So I think that's the only one you'll ever see from C.J. Axelrod. Sometimes it's good to experiment with different genres or niches or niches. It's kind of fun putting something, something out in a different name, too. <laughs> yeah. It can be. It can be. So you mentioned your your it was based on work by your father. Of course, he wrote something a lot more famous. Yes, he he wrote uh, Vertigo for Alfred Hitchcock. He wrote a few things for Al- Alfred Hitchcock, but that that was probably his his most famous one. And it, it's probably the one that when when people hear that that's my father, they they just think, oh my god, you you, mu- you must be an incredible writer. And I, I have to explain that the gene might come down to want to write, but the talent doesn't have to necessarily be there. And my father ended up being a very close friend of Hitchcock. So when he was actually picked to, to write it, the studios didn't want it. Um, they wanted a much more established Hollywood writer. And while my father had been in, in the country, in America, for quite a few years, he hadn't done anything quite that big. But Hitchcock fought for him, and he, he you know, my father did it, and he got the screen credit. Being Hollywood, they obviously brought in someone else later on to, to clean it up. But that's probably one of his biggest claim to fame. Did he write many other screenplays that were adapted? He actually wrote the adaption because it was based on a short story, a short French story that Hitchcock bought. But he he wrote quite a few. He wrote, uh, there's a wonderful uh, Hammond Innes adaption called No Highway in the Sky with James Stewart that he wrote. He wrote Hell Below Zero. Probably his, his worst decision-making day, he was offered to write this new idea, this new comedy they wanted to do a series of called The Pink Panther. He was offered it because he was very good. He was very good friends with one of the producers. And my father said, Oh, no, no. He read the sort of early draft of what they wanted and said, This is just slapstick and silly. It's, it's never going to catch on. So, <laughs> surprise, surprise, it did. Whoops. <laughs> so, d- did he make a full time living from writing screenplays? It sounds like he did. Oh, yeah. He started off as a playwright. And before Alan Aikborn appeared many, many years ago, my father held the record for having three plays on in the West End at the same time. Oh, wow. Wow. So he's very prolific. He, he was very prolific. And he's, he probably wrote somewhere in the region of 15, 16 movies. Plus, he did a lot of rewrite write work. And, you know, we, we lived quite well. well. And was it his creative output that made you want to, I suppose, teach screenplays and learn about the craft and then go on to write horror books? I don't know. I don't know if there's, that's an easy answer. I think seeing my father shut himself in a room and, and write, seeing him suddenly have an idea and go off and have to make a notation, probably entered my bloodstream to the point that when I started having ideas very young and went away to write something down, that came from there. Obviously, I think talent does come down the gene pool in some way, because other, otherwise, no real ex- explanation why he was a good writer. And I, I think I'm becoming a good writer. But at the time, 
you know, he died when I was 16. And you don't really consider your father famous. It's not like a, a, an actor where everyone's going to stop in the street and, you know, introduce themselves and ask for an autograph. No, no one would know him from Adam. I mean, he was invisible. Though as a child growing up, I mean, I was surrounded. They had parties in the house with incredible A-listers. And I knew enough to know that was kind of cool, but I didn't, I don't think I actually sort of linked it with, with my dad and his skill. Hmm. And so now you actually teach aspiring writers how to write screenplays. I don't teach anymore. I, I taught it at UCLA when I was um, in, still living in America. So you must have written a lot of screenplays in your time as well. I've written not that many. I've probably written eight, I think, eight screenplays. And and then a bit like the painter Utrillo, then did n- nothing with them. I just sort of put them away and and and, and then never even market them. In fact, when I when I did Far From Burdendale, that's the first one I ever sort of put out there. There's a I don't know if it's having a fear of, of rejection or just I don't have the the ability to self market myself that well or didn't. Now I I self promoted any any given opportunity. So I've read a. Probably the, the most well-known book on writing screenplays, Save the Cat, the, the last book on screenwriting you'll never need. And like, I don't write screenplays myself, but the, the big lesson I, I got from that was how the three-act structure can often inform a lot of uh, genre fiction books as well. Yes. Is that an idea you've come across or is that something you teach to, you taught to your students? Most of my teaching at UCLA was, in fact, rewriting because... I pitched to, I was already there. I was the director of operations for the school. And they didn't have, it's not they didn't have, they didn't believe, the writing program did not believe in teaching rewrites. Seems like a pretty big omission. (laughs) Well, as I knew, and as thankfully the the head of the the production department knew, rewrites play more, a bigger role in in having a a script completed and, and made than just writing down the initial draft. And it's a very difficult concept if you're not prepared for it. If you're told that yours will be wonderful and just accepted, and then you're going to be thrown all these curves. Make him or her. Don't have an explosion. Have everyone trapped underground instead. You're, you're going to have your story ripped apart. I, anyway, they came. They agreed that it was a great idea. But I wasn't pitching myself to teach it. I was pitching that the program needed to teach rewriting. And then they said, why don't you do it? And... I went home to my wife and gave it some thought and absolutely scared out of my mind. I said, sure, I'll give it a try. And, and what I used to do to start, to start each term was to take a very, very famous film, basically play the opening of the film, and then give the students the original script, the opening 10 pages of the script. I mean, Back to the Future is a perfect example. That it's it bears no relationship to the movie. The character was from McFly was completely different, and and there's all sorts of reasons as to why. And I then would have students write, give me a a five page script, and I am going to give you my notes back on what I need to see changed. And we did that for most of the term, but every time I would do it, it would be an open discussion with the rest of the class as to why. What my motivation was as producer to have the changes made and what you as a writer would need to do to actually make those changes and still keep the story intact. Because sometimes producers, 
I mean, the story about producers having some, you know, buxom girlfriend they want in the role, even though the part was meant to be sort of an 80-year-old black assassin, they suddenly want the 27-year-old girlfriend to play the part, is real. And it happens in Hollywood way too much, not so much in the super A-list movies, but certainly in, in, in the B movies and lower A's. So I just wanted them prepared to be able to sort of pivot and keep their integrity, keep the story there, but integrate the lunacy that was thrown at them. Are there any particular screenplays that you would look to apart from Back to the Future that you think are particularly good? And, and Vertigo as well. <laughs> Goodwill Hunting is probably my favorite script. And I mean, the backstory of that is just so wonderful. I mean, two out-of-work actors from the East Coast of America, unable to be able to get decent acting jobs, decide to write a script. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were those two actors, and they they wrote it. And, of course, it won the Oscar, and it's it's just a beautifully written script. Yeah, yeah, it's a good film. It's, it's certainly a good film. Do you think there are many parallels then between screenplays and writing genre fiction? Like like a genre fiction author, for example, wouldn't have the producer who is requiring that they make changes, but they might have an editor. I mean, well, <laughs> if you have a good editor who it feels safe in telling you that, you know, one entire chapter is crap, then you have to be prepared to do some some rewrites. But no, I mean, that is the advantage of being a writer. As long as you can get your book out, it will stay intact. It will stay your work. But the two genres, most people will say that they're completely different genres and you can't take a screenwriter and make him an author and, and vice versa. And I, I don't know that that's true. There are certain writers, the more long-winded writers, that could never write a screenplay. But I think if you go the other direction and if you start getting your chops as a screenwriter, You've obviously got to add in all the detail and backstory and all the things that are missing from the screenplay. But you have the inherent ability to edit. You will know when to end the scene at a dramatic moment, uh, which can then become a chapter end. You should be good at visualizing opening scenes. Screenwriters tend to be more visually minded. And if you can translate that into the written word for in long form, I think it's going to make a better writer. I feel like James Patterson will be a good screenwriter. If not that he needs to work. He almost doesn't need to. I mean, his work, which just translates so well. I mean, it, it's very concise. Uh, well, a lot of his books have obviously made it to, to the movies. Yeah, true, true. So you so a lot of the books that you write are, are horror. Is, is that your favorite genre to read as well? I read a lot of genres, but I definitely, I think I think my heavy reading addiction probably started when I read The Shining. Great, yeah, great book. Probably my, my favorite book by Stephen King. That hooked me right there. And I read, I think I read every single book he, he wrote. And I mean, there, there's a man who, if you read his earlier works, if you read Carrie, which is the first one he had published, it's very concise and very condensed, and it's it was 60,000 words. And then you go on to The Stand, and you're in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of words, and yet you're riveted the whole time. Mm. Most of his books these days are, are quite long. They are quite long. Some of them, I think it's it's possible to say he, he may 
He may drift into sub stories a little bit too often, but he's still, I mean, to me, he's still a god. And he was very much part of, after I wrote Luck, I didn't quite know what to do. And a friend of mine had just written a book in California, a guy called Craig Lehner, who writes um, sort of teen mystical basketball and alternate universe stories, which are quite, quite wonderful. But he said, well, it, you're such a Stephen King fan. Have you written his book on writing? I said, what's it called? It's Stephen King on writing. And that is a wonderful book. If you if you want to write, really, I don't think it matters the genre, but the fact that it's coming from Stephen King mattered to me. And he is, it's a very good roadmap of what you need to do as a new writer. Everything down to punctuation and down to character repetition and, and format and structure. And then he obviously goes on to um, the more aesthetic side of it but it's a detailed guidebook on on how to write he also gets into the psychology of a writer too yes and he but and he talks about some of the books he's written and his feelings of when he was writing them and what made him write them the way they did and he, one of my favorites of his which i think to this day is still the scariest book i've ever read was pet cemetery which is never translated well in, into film but he was horrified at himself writing what he wrote in that book. He didn't like himself for doing it. He just felt driven that that was the story. And of course, it's become a classic. But it, and and nowadays it's it's almost tame. But for when he wrote it, just the subject matter and the, the death of the child and all everything else that went with that story was very new and very scary. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Misery as well. That's another classic book by King. Oh, Misery. That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. All about a writer being tortured. <laughs> <laughs> We're always tortured. So when is your next book out? Next book comes out on uh, February the 24th. Do you write? It sounds like you write one a year. Is that fair to say? Actually, I, I seem to be writing two a year. Oh, good. Nice. Nice. Do you imagine that you will continue to work in the horror genre? I can't see me not writing in this genre. I'm I'm... The better I get at it, the more enjoyment I get at it, because I feel more confident that there's really, at this point, nothing I won't tackle. I mean, I've already got notes for the one after the one I'm, ed I'm, I'm editing a book of short stories that's coming out in September. I'm doing the proof with the, the publisher. I'm doing my own edit on this new one, which is, I think, probably one of my best, which is the one that's part police and part horror. And then I've already got doing notes at the same time of the one that I will write after that. So probably three months away, I'll put pen to paper. Is the collection of short stories a collection of yours? Yeah, all, all mine, all original. One of the things that Stephen King suggested, when you finish a first draft, don't just jump right back in and start doing the edit because it'll be so familiar to you that you're, you're just going to be sort of reading by rote and knowing what's happening. He said, the initial second draft, give it at least a couple of weeks and then put it away for a while, which not all of us have that luxury. But one of the things he said is when you finish the first draft, put it away for a week and don't stop writing, write short stories. And I did, I followed his instructions completely and suddenly found that I had like six decent size. I mean, four of them are novella size. They're at the 10,000 word level. And then I thought, well, wow, this is quite good. And I, meanwhile, I've been making little notes on, on my iNotes 
of just little one-liners that could be, I could stretch them into, into short stories. And I did ended up with, I think it's a 72,000 word short story book. Hey, I used to write a lot of short stories uh, years ago. They're fun because you can write them within the course of a week or two and then move on to the next one. Whereas a novel, it's going to take you a lot longer. So Chris, if people want to read your books or learn more about your work, where should they go? Maybe the best thing to start with is go to chriscoppel.com. And that's my website. And that has links for all books to Amazon. Or you can go to, in England and uh, Ireland, go to Waterston's bookstore. They have them. Uh, but if you if you Google Chris Koppel, there's a lot of links to, to, to a lot of sites. That's Koppel with two Ps. And I'll include links in the show notes. But th- thank you for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software and on my writing courses. Thank you.